0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for today from the Holy Gospel, the 25th chapter of St. Matthew, these words in particular, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them, to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability, and he went on his journey. Our text, Dear Friends in Christ. What, when you were a child, was better than happening by chance into the kitchen when mom was baking and then casually snatching one of those freshly baked chocolate chip cookies right off the cooling rack? Remember that sensation, that feeling, nothing could be better than being able to do that except... Perhaps if your mother was the sort who would give you, before she baked the cookie, some of that unbaked cookie dough. Both were good, whether it was the fully baked cookie or the unbaked cookie dough. What wasn't so good, and you might remember this well, also is that half-baked cookie You could have the full cookie baked, you could have the unbaked cookie, no fine, but that half-baked cookie just wasn't as good, that mass of glutinous stuff that just sank down and finally got into your stomach and unsettled it, the half-baked cookie. And isn't it true, dear friends, that so many things that begin with the word half really aren't that good in life? think about some of the words that do or the phrases that do half-bake it's not good for cookies it's not good for ideas the half-baked idea half-life things like nuclear waste that last thousands of years longer here on earth than any of us will half-done that's what you have already done but you got the other half to do not always a good feeling with that half-dead Never the look that any of us want to go for. You see, half of most things, it seems, just isn't what's really something to look forward to. Unless it's half price, that's probably the one exception in the whole terminology. But perhaps the most dismal half of all things that we typically encounter in ourselves or in others or in our communities or in our churches or our families or our marriages, the worst half of all is half-heartedness. Think about it. Half-heartedness. Few things are worse than being on the receiving end of a half-hearted gesture or a half-hearted compliment. What's worse than being on the end of a half-hearted commitment or a half-hearted love? I'll tell you what's worse. What's worse is being half-hearted toward God what's the greatest command of all commandments Jesus was asked and how did he respond he said love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your strength with all of your mind with all of your soul never half all as someone has said about the danger of half-heartedness toward God he said if God were our enemy we would at least give him our full attention But when we're half-hearted we simply don't care enough to make up our minds whether we love him or hate him as conditions of the heart go lukewarmness is the very worst it's little wonder that the lord jesus says what he says about half-hearted lukewarmness when in the book of revelation remember he addresses The church is in Asia Minor, and he says to the church of Laodicea, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're neither hot nor cold but lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You see, when all is said and done, there's really no such thing as half-hearted indifference toward God. Jesus said, he who is not for me is against me. There's no in-between ground. He said, he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. There's no in-between place. Half-heartedness is nothing other than a disguised, self-deceiving form of hatred toward God. A more politically correct form of it. We euphemistically call it indifference. But there's no middle ground when it comes to God. It's as the poet Robert Herrick put it. He said, God will have all or none serve him or fall down before Baal, Bel or Belial, either be hot or cold. God doth despise, abhor, and spew out all neutralities. Such divinely despicable half-hearted neutrality is exactly what we find in the heart of one of the servants in today's text. The worthless servant who the last words of the text say is cast then into the outer darkness. Consider what happens. The departing master entrusts his possessions precious as they are with three different servants. He gave each servant according to his ability, the text says. Doesn't give any any more than he can handle, not not less. He gives them exactly what he needs, each one of them. The master knows each of the servants that well that he gives them exactly what they need. A talent for one two for another, five for another, what's a talent? Well some scholars of antiquity say that a talent was the amount that a worker would receive in fifteen years, fifteen years of wages in one talent. So five talents would be a lifetime's income, 75 years' worth of salary, of wages, given to the one that the master leaves when he leaves for a time. 75 years' worth, the lifetime's worth of income he gives to one. Amazing generosity, and to another he gives two talents. It's still a sizable sum. Two times 15, 30 years of wages for the second servant very generous indeed and even to the one to whom he gives but one talent is still fifteen years worth of wages the departing master is so generous toward each though each received a different amount according to his ability the first two servants the one receiving five talents the one receiving two they both go out as soon as the master leaves and they make good use of what the master left them gifts which they recognized as being good gifts which their master intended them to use And as they did, so the talents, the parable tells us, doubled themselves before the master returned. They're pleased with the gifts and what they've done, and the master is pleased with them, pleased that they saw in faith that the value of the gift that he had left them was really in the use of that gift that he had left them. They used what he had left. And so to both he said exactly the same thing, well done thou good, and thou faithful servant." But spotlight of the text isn't on those two really, is it? Spotlight of the text is on the one who was given one, the third one. What does he do with the one talent that was entrusted to him? He buries it, puts it in the ground. The trouble with the safekeeping principle is that it does nothing it risks nothing for the master for it has no confidence in the ability of the masters gift to do what the master said the gift could do no confidence in the ability of the masters gift to reproduce itself it treats the gift as though it were some dead museum relic to be hidden away rather than seeing it for what it is a life giving a life sustaining a life supporting possession that is left by the master a gift that keeps giving and keeps giving and giving more and more, right up until the day that the Master returns to give us still more. Isn't that what the Master told the first two servants when he returned? Well done, thou good and faithful servants, he says. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your Master. Our Lord Jesus, dear friends, has not left us without his precious gifts. He's not left us without his holy possessions. He's not left us without his holy provisions, which he has promised will be sufficient to sustain us until the day that he returns. That day of the Lord that the Apostle Paul speaks of in today's epistle, when he says, as your bulletin cover says, he's going to come as a thief in the night. That day that the prophet Zephaniah refers to in the Old Testament Lessons Day, when he quotes God as saying, quote, On that day, declares the Lord, I will punish the complacent those who say in their hearts the Lord will not do good or the Lord will not do ill the indifferent, the half-hearted who foolishly in their half-heartedness are indifferent toward the coming wrath of God as they are toward the good gifts that God has left us to sustain us and to prepare us for the day of his visible return what are those gifts? what are those divine possessions that he has given us? that sustain us, that keep us going until he returns, nothing less than his word and his sacraments. The treasures through which he has promised to work invisibly among us until he visibly returns again, his holy means of grace we call them, that's what his servants are to be wholeheartedly receiving week in and week out, day in and day out, that's what we are to be wholeheartedly using That's what we're to be wholeheartedly sharing day after day, for that is indeed the possession of God, the word of God, with the wholehearted message of Jesus Christ and his wholehearted commitment to each and to every one of us demonstrated so wholeheartedly in the cross where he died to pay for your sins and for my sins. And for all of the half heartedness that we've ever had in thought, in word, or in deed, all of that whole hearted grace of God there in Christ and in him crucified that's what has the power to bring increase to the church of Jesus Christ as we visibly await him to return in glory that's where the sacred possession of God is really at and it's little wonder isn't it when you think upon that that Martin Luther speaking of that power of that sacred gift of God that power of the word of God said the word seems to so many people in the world he said to be so small so trifling a matter But did that word not prove to be a thunderbolt so powerful that its impact, he said, turned the whole Roman Empire upside down with all of its wisdom and might and sanctity and turned it into a pile of rubbish? There lay Minerva, he said, the Roman goddess of wisdom. And there lay the whole Roman pantheon, he said, with all of its idols. And so Christ the hero, Luther says, came and beat everything down through the marvelous power of the word of his apostles and nowadays Luther writes referring to the success that the Reformation had had nowadays he says what have I done? is that I've never drawn a sword but I've struck only with the sword of the gospel and thereby has been accomplished far more than All of the emperors and the kings could have done with all of their earthly power. I've taken only the rod of God's mouth and beaten that upon man's heart. I've let God carry on. And I've let the word of God do its work. Look what the word of God can do. That sacred possession of God. Look what it does in our parable for today. When used and when invested as intended. It does what the talents of the master did while he was away. It multiplies itself over and over and over again when it's used as God intends. No surprise. Does exactly what God through the prophet Isaiah said it would do. My word, he said, shall not return unto me void and empty. Rather, it shall accomplish that for which I send it, and so also for us. It's not really what we do that brings the increase to the kingdom of God. It's the spirit of God working through the word of God that's been entrusted to us to use until the Lord Jesus comes again. And so it was that the psalmist wrote, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name be the glory. And so it was that St. Paul said, not I, but the grace of God has done it all. And so too Luther testified boldly, I've done nothing. The word of God has done it all. Wholeheartedly embrace that word, dear friends. Do so right here in the sanctuary as you faithfully hear the word read and preached and taught, wholeheartedly embrace that word as we study it and apply it in our lives together, wholeheartedly embrace that word and then teach it to your children, to your grandchildren, because after all remember this a hundred years from now it's not going to matter at all whether or not your children or grandchildren lived in a mansion it's not going to matter whether or not they wore brand name clothes it's not going to matter whether or not they had a six or a seven year seven figure salary each year of their lives one hundred years from now what will matter for them and for you is whether or not you have Jesus Christ And whether or not he's in you and you're in him. Because that's the only increase that God brings as we're in Christ and he is in us. Beware, Luther said. Beware of being nauseated by this word of God and being disgusted with it. Don't become, he said, like those who were disgusted with the man in the desert. For the word of God, Luther said, is a food that increases the appetite of him who eats it. Therefore, the word should abound among us. Moreover, Luther said, we have the most certain promise of God that the word of God will not lack fruit as we diligently use it. The word of God will not lack fruit as we diligently use it. The word of God and his sacraments will produce fruit through you. That's the promise of God. He's going to do that through you. Nearly a thousand years ago, a Christian with a rather strange name, the Carthusian, reflected upon God's grace in his life, He thought about how God's grace had reached down into his life and had saved him from sin by connecting him to Jesus Christ. But he also reflected upon God's great grace and how God often used it to take the littleness and the nothingness of his life and so powerfully bring some good forth from it in ways that he never thought would be possible. So nearly a thousand years ago, Gigo the Carthusian wrote these words and he said, Lord... How much juice thou canst squeeze from a single grape. How much water thou canst draw from a single well. How great a fire thou canst kindle from the tiniest little spark. How great a tree thou canst grow from the tiniest seed. My soul, he said, is so dry that by itself it can't even pray. And yet from it thou dost squeeze the juice of a thousand prayers. My soul is so parched that by itself it cannot love and yet from it thou draw boundless love for thyself and for my neighbor my soul is so cold he said that by itself it has no warming joy and yet within me thou dost light and ignite a fire of of heavenly joy my soul he said is so feeble that by itself it has no faith and yet by thy power faith exists and grows within me to a great height. Vigo the Carthusian. He captured the essence of what God can and would work in you and through all of us and what God did for him he most certainly would do also for you. God has loved you so wholeheartedly in his son such great love will work so much more in us than half-heartedness in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen